get started here. Um, before I jump in, I thought I'd just give a, a quick uh, slice of life from this last week. Uh, some of you knew uh, Morgan and I got to get away, get a little getaway this last week, and we went out to drop the kids off in Omaha uh, with the grandparents, and then uh, we, we flew to who knows where. Uh, we didn't tell them where we went, uh, not, but... Um, no, we went out to Charleston, South Carolina. So it was uh, never been there before, but um, you know, we figure we have a wedding out in Mobile, Alabama. We've got a wedding out in Dallas. We thought we, we might, have, might as well make the theme this year the South. So we went to Charleston and uh, got to check out some things there. Uh, to, uh, well, one of our favorite movies is The Notebook, if anyone's ever seen The Notebook, but a, a number of scenes were filmed out in, in Charleston there. Um, at a plantation we visited, and, and then at another place uh, on the water they filmed it. Uh, another movie that was filmed out that way, some of you ever heard of the movie Glory? It was uh, related to Fort Sumter out there, and we got to take the tour of that. And so it was, it was a great time. It was enjoyable. It was refreshing. It was educational. That's primarily why we went. It was, uh, um, but no, just, uh, we, it was a great time. We made it back safe and sound. On the way back from Omaha, we were driving, and... Uh, uh, I think my wife might have told some of the women this, but we were driving down I-80, and there was a mowing crew in the middle there, and they must have kicked up a rock as we were driving, and it hit the back window of our Suburban, and then you just saw splinters of glass, and yet the whole thing didn't cave in. We made it to a gas station, and we put um, packaging tape, clear tape, and it's like a brand new window. If you want one, <laughs> if you'd like one, we could, we could work out a deal with you on that, but... Uh, Anyways, we were glad that Justice was sitting right by that window. We're glad a rock or whatever it was didn't come through and hit him. So, um, but it's good to be back here and uh, back to reality. Life is not a vacation. Uh, it's, it's fun to enjoy those uh, when you get a chance, though. So, anyways, we're talking about something here that I just want to introduce it, and then we're going to pray. But before we get started, I just want to see, it might not relate to you at all here. You know, we're going to look at the first verse here, and, and we'll see if it relates. If it doesn't, you know, we'll see what to do from there. But just, uh, this is Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount series we're talking about here. Um, but he just said this, Matthew 5, 21. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So a quick show of hands before we continue. Any of you ever committed murder before? Go ahead and raise your hand. If you haven't, okay, that's good. Um, if you're thinking about committing murder here soon, would you go ahead and raise your hand? Uh, I just, okay, nice. I just thought as a pastor it would be good to know where, where we're at here. So no one's thinking about murder, no one's murdered. That's good. We're done, guys. Let's, let's call it a morning. Let's head on home here. This does not relate to us at all, right? So um, unfortunately, that is kind of what the Pharisees thought at the time. Hey, look, I've never murdered. What's the big deal about this? 
And there's a number of commandments that they kind of felt like, well, I can't relate to this. I can't relate to this or adultery or something else. And, and yet they really missed the heart of God behind it. And Jesus went on not to eliminate the Ten Commandments, but he really went on to illuminate. Hey, here's, here's more what was behind this thought here. It wasn't just like, okay, don't go around killing people, which is pretty good advice. But there's more to it, I think, than meets the eye. So we're going to talk about that this morning. There might be something in the rest of this passage that, that could relate to, to you and I, and, and maybe not. We'll see here. But I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we're going to look at the rest of the passage here. So, ah, Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for the chance to be together this morning, the chance to worship you. God, it is, it is a blessing to us. You, you may enjoy it, and it's, your scripture says that you are pleased with the sacrifice of our praise, but Lord, I know we enjoy it. We're, we're the beneficiaries of worshiping you. It renews our mind, Lord. It is fitting for you to receive praise, but it is good for us, and we just thank you for that opportunity. And Lord, I pray that as we look at your word here this morning, that you would um, unfold it for us, that you would illuminate what you want each one of us to see. God, help us to know you better as we look at your word. I pray your spirit would reveal things to us that we need to know, things that your Holy Spirit would want to bring about in our lives. Help us, Lord. Please grab our attention for the next few minutes, and we just ask for your grace in all of this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and, and read the, the rest of this. Uh, you know, it's really six verses we look at in this passage this morning, verse 21 through 26. The theme in general is murder, but again, that we're going to look kind of behind the scenes here. Um, the next, we'll just read this section together. Jesus goes on to say, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. Anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So Jesus is talking about more kind of the heart behind murder. And um, just to share a little story with you, maybe, uh, maybe you've never murdered anyone, not planning on it. But how many of you have ever struggled with anger in your heart before? Anyone ever? Um, yeah, well, I will share with you a story here about, um, about me and this subject and maybe some discovery related to it. But I remember um, it was our honeymoon 17 years ago. And uh, we, we were off traveling. And at one point, I remembered our pre-marriage class. They talked to us about different levels of communication you could have with one another as a spouse. It, it was from, I think, a Dr. Gary Smalley book. He talked about five different levels of communication you can have. These levels of communication will still apply to you today. But I was thinking about it. It was fresh on my mind back then. The different levels, level one is, is kind of like uh, the facts. You can talk about like the news, and you can talk about the Cavaliers and Golden State or the Broncos. You can talk about cliches like the weather. Wow, it sure hot yesterday, wasn't it, honey? Yeah, it was, honey. Oh, great, I love you too. Um, uh, you can talk about opinions, level three. So there's, there's the facts, there's cliches, there's opinions. You can share your opinion about the Cavaliers or about the weather, and you may get a little more of emotion involved there. Uh, level four he talked about is sharing your emotions with your spouse, how you feel about them, how you feel about your kids or things in life you share on an emotional level. And then level five is where you talk about, you share with one another your needs, your emotional needs, your physical needs, the needs that you have in life. And as you go up from level one up to level five, there's an increase in vulnerability 
and intimacy. And his point was, you, you want to do your best to work to communicate on level four and five, sharing your heart, sharing your needs. It's hard, but there's a closeness there that God has designed for marriage. And, and so I remember this from class, and um, whoever taught the pre-marriage class, I don't remember, but those concepts stuck with me. And so we're off on our honeymoon. I remember one time thinking, all right, no more talking about the weather, the news, you know, sports. I'm going to share an emotion here. I think I have an emotion. And, you know, my wife, she, she understands those better. And, and I don't really have experience. So I'm going to share this emotion and see, you know, it'll be a really awesome conversation. And so I share, you know, son, honey, sometimes I, I have this feeling. I can't really describe it. You know, and I use the word feeling. And I was like, oh, this is good, you know. And, uh, and it's kind of like, uh, I don't know what it is. But when I have this feeling, it's like there's a... Uh, it's kind of like this edge in my heart. And, and when I speak, when I have that edge, when I, bad things happen. People get offended. People, you know, people cry, whatever it is. But there's something about this. And she's like, yeah, I think I know what that is. And she's like, sounds like anger. And I was like, no, 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 no. You got it all wrong here. No. Let me try again. Explain this feeling to you, level four communication. And then I shared the whole thing again. There's kind of like this edge. And, you know, when I act on it, just bad things happen. And again, she said, yeah, sounds like anger. And I'm like, no, no, we're, we're done. This conversation's over. I tried level four communication, but we're, we're moving on here. You know, and, and later I went on to discover that I had that emotion that I was struggling with, uh, I had a struggle with anger. And she was right. And she saw it. And it was news to me. And, and that was at, you know, at age 29, I'm finding out, oh, so when it comes to this subject of anger and murder, I, I jokingly throw out there's three kinds of people on this subject. There's those who have a struggle with anger, and, and they know about it. Any of you might know, got a struggle with anger, and it's not a strange idea. You, you're dealing with it. The other type is those who have a struggle with anger, and they don't yet know about it. I was one of those. And then the other type of people is those who are like Jesus. You, you just don't have a struggle with anger. That's not true. You know? And so each one of us is in one of these three camps here. And uh, you, you might know who you are. And you might be honest about it. And you might yet to discover it. Or you might be Jesus sitting among us here. And amen. That's what he was trying to get us towards. Now, if this is not your, if this again doesn't relate to you, you can feel free to excuse yourself. Go help in Sunday school here or something. I know. Um, but the... You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7, uh, if this one doesn't affect you, there's the other ones that might. You might just sit back and enjoy. There might be something you learn from this. Uh, but, you know, there's other fish to fry out there. Next week, I think it's talking about lust. There's another time he talks about, uh, you know, he talks about hypocrisy, talks about gossip, talks about worry, talks about if this is not your biggest fish to fry, I understand that. Some of us, this could relate to our lives a little bit. Um, but my hope is that as we look at these verses, maybe there's something in here that you go, oh, I didn't realize that's what he meant by that. And so we're just going to take a look at, um, at a couple things here just to examine and just to make sure we're catching God's heart here and how this should be playing out in our lives. But um, we're just going to go, um, really, there's three types of anger. I told you three types of people. Uh, that, I just made that up for fun. It's not, you won't find that in the scriptures. But there are three types of anger, three expressions that Jesus specifically talks about here. And we'll like to, let's try to understand what those are and see if they relate to us at all here. But, um, you know, let's see. We'll start with um, right here. It just says, um, but, I, but I tell you that anyone who is angry 
with his brother will be subject to judgment. And, you know, some translations, they throw in anyone who is angry. Uh, there's even some manuscripts out there that say angry without cause. Have you ever been angry without cause? Um, now, the challenge is most of us, I don't know about you, but I've been angry with cause. I've got good causes for my anger. It's not arbitrary. I know exactly who caused the anger in me. And uh, there, it's rare that it's without cause. I, um, but, you know, the, when, when they're talking about cause there, you know, there's two different types of anger. There's uh, Jesus expressed anger. Sometimes people say, well, Jesus was angry. Well, you know, Jesus' anger was a, was a God-centered anger. You know, Jesus was angry when they made the house of worship a place of robbery, a place where people were cheating others out of money as they were trying to offer worship to God and sacrifices. And, and so he overturned those tables. But you and I, most of us, I know me, uh, my anger is not always God-centered. My anger is often self-centered. It's about me not getting treated how I want it. It's about my ego getting, you know, pricked, or it's about my pride or my preferences, you know, and, and, and if we're honest, most of us, we might deal more with self-centered anger than we do about God-centered anger. Now, if you're out turning over table, tables and that's the biggest thing in your world to do right now, amen, praise the Lord, you know, I think that's awesome. But uh, some of us might need to be flipping over a few tables and, and turning things upside down in our own hearts first here, and, and I know that's the case with me. But he, first anger to watch out for is uh, anger in the heart, anger without cause. Because Jesus says, by the way, you know, if you murder someone, yeah, there's judgment that's, that's due. But, but he goes on to say, by the way, you've got anger in your heart, anger without cause, self-centered anger, there's judgment. You know, he used the same word as, as that word that was there. It's, it's a big deal to God if there's anger going on in the heart. And so we have to, um, we just have to watch out for that. I always like the question, um, this is something God's engaged with me on over the years, but there's a scene in the, the book of Jonah where God's interacting with Jonah. And he asked Jonah twice, he asked him this question, um, do you have a right to be angry? At one point he says, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? This vine grew up, it gave him shade. The next day the vine died. Jonah was really, really angry. And God says, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And what does Jonah say? Yes, I do. I'm angry enough to die. I'm like, wow. But, you know, uh, it's really convicting to ask yourself that question. Anytime you find anger in your heart, if you ask yourself that question, do I have the right to be angry about fill in the blank? It might not be a vine, but it might be as silly as the vine. And if you find yourself saying, I do, I'm angry enough to maybe not die, but to kill somebody, you know, um, there's, it's probably not a God-centered anger. It's probably a self-oriented thing, and, and it's, it's probably a problem there. There's probably judgment that Jesus says, there's judgment due anger without a cause in your heart here. And so we want to watch out for that type of anger. Um, you know, the next type of anger, um, because really uh, we, we just have to remember that none of us has committed murder, but really when you let anger uh, reside in your heart, it, it's anger in our hearts is it's the seed of murder. That's murder grows out of the seed of anger in our hearts. And when it grows, eventually, that's the way it manifests itself physically. We have to watch out for anger in our hearts, which is the seed of murder. Um, the next thing he talks about here, he says, he goes on to say, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, it's answerable to the Sanhedrin. 
Um, now, how many of you, if you, let's be honest here, how many of you said ricotta, someone here recently? Go ahead, admit it. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right, and I definitely know I've never used that in a sentence before, um, uh, much less an angry sentence. Um, but, you know, so most of us can say, whatever, doesn't relate to me. I know that I haven't used that word. Um, but the idea is, uh, and, and maybe some of you know this, depending on what translation you read, um, some translations, you know, it's, it's Aramaic. It's a term of contempt. It's like calling someone a bad name in Aramaic. It's kind of like saying you're, you're worth nothing. Uh, I think some translations say, you idiot. You're an idiot. Um, and any of you ever used that word? You don't have to raise your hand. That ever been in your vocabulary before? Only when they deserve it, right? I mean, <laughs> only on I-25 or I-70 at the right times. Um, but it's the idea of you idiot. You know, another word that might relate to raka is, um, has to do with uh, calling someone a piece of, a piece of, not pie, a piece of, piece of crap might be one word, a piece of, I'm going to say it, shit. Um, but that's the idea that's conveyed here. Modern day, you piece of this, you piece of that, you idiot. And, and this terminology, it conveys a couple things. One, it's, uh, it conveys, it's an abusive language. You, you're saying something insulting to someone. It's an arrogant language. It's kind of like saying, you're this, you're a piece of that, and, and I'm not. You're an idiot, and I'm not. I'm the one calling you one. I, uh, of course I'm not, you are. Um, but there's an arrogance, there's an abusiveness that comes with using words like that. And so um, we've got to watch out for the modern day versions of raka. And, and there's a lot of different words out there. You might know your favorites. I know mine. Uh, and we've got to realize Jesus said on that, he says, and by the way, you're answerable to the Sanhedrin. You know, one was, you're going, you're going to face judgment. You're going to go to court for that. Sanhedrin was the highest level of court you could go to at the time. This is a bigger deal. And, and we'll talk about what he says about the next thing. But, um, you know, again, this is uh, anger. There's anger in our hearts. It's bad. There's anger in our speech. Abusive or arrogant language. Jesus says greater judgment for that. And then let's look at this next type of anger that he speaks about here. He goes on to say, but anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. You fool. Now, um, again, I don't know if you call anyone a fool or not, or, um, but I do think that that idea of fool is not just, okay, you can't say idiot, can't say stupid, can't say you fool. Um, the spirit behind us is it's more than just saying uh, fool. Uh, William McDonald, Bible commentator, some of you are familiar with, he puts it like this. He says this. He says, uh, here the, wool, the word fool means more than just a dunce. It signifies a moral fool who ought to be dead, and it expresses the wish that he were. You fool. You're an idiot. You, you should be dead. You know? um, and, but he goes on to say this, and I'm reading from William McDonald, and, and he says some strong words here, so... Uh, just take this to heart. He says, today it's common to hear a person cursing another, uh, another with the words, God damn you. Damn you. God damn you is what he says here. He's calling on God to consign the victim to hell. He says that a person who, uh, one who utters such a curse is in danger of the fire of hell. But, you know, there's this idea of you fool. It's not just saying, oh, you fool. I, I shouldn't have. It has the idea that 
you're a moral fool who should be dead by now. And you should, not only that, you should be damned maybe to hell is the expression there. It's not just another something like that. This is saying things that have to do with, you know, damn you, fill in the blanks, is, is God damn you. Go to hell is, I wish that you would go to hell and, and maybe that could help put you there. But these expressions, they're tied to phrases that have spiritual meaning. They have eternal ramifications. Jesus used the word hell. The Bible uses the word damnation. You know, older versions of the Bible, you don't see it much in, in modern versions. King James uses the word damnation like 11 or 12 times to speak about hell. We don't see that in modern things, but to say damn you is not uncommon in our culture. And it has to do with damnation for you is the idea behind it. Now, um, you know, so I think there's a few things we have to watch out for. It's just that um, in our culture, it's not uncommon to use the word hell, damn, things like that. And, and I almost wonder if there's a little bit of, uh, you know, hell, we know it's this bad place, we know it's torment and things like that, but if we use it commonly, maybe it's a friendly thing to do. Let's take the edge off of hell. That sounds so harsh. But I wonder if there's an ins insensitivity, how, that it dulls the meaning that the word is supposed to use. When Jesus spoke of hell, it was about a place that was going to be eternal and terrible and horrible and forever. And damn and damnation was, was a very serious thing. There's nothing worse than eternal damnation. And we as a culture have taken words like hell and damn and we make them into household words. And that's true in America today. It's not uncommon to hear those words. Unfortunately, it's true in Christian circles. Some of our very own vocabulary can use hell and damn in very flippant ways. And Jesus never, ever had a flippancy about hell, about using that word or damn. And, um, so it's just something to think about. And as a matter of fact, he says, when you're using speech like that, you need to beware that you're in danger of the fire of hell yourself. When you're calling a curse down on someone wishing they were there, be very careful that that does not end up being your own sentence. And, and, you know, I know there's a lot of theological questions related to that and stuff. But um, so anyways, um, you know, just to kind of review that here, we, we need to be aware of anger in our hearts or anger without cause. We need to be aware of anger in our speech, abusive or arrogant speech. We need to be aware of anger through cursing. Uh, I think the New Living Translation says, you know, that instead of saying, uh, you fool, it says, if you curse someone, if you curse them, wish a curse on, on where they would go or should go, uh, that is in danger of the fire of hell when you use speech like that. So we have to watch out for that. Now I want to share a few questions and answers on this just to clarify. You know, I think there's a few traps we can fall into. I know I can, um, and, and we could be tempted to this. One is that, you know, we become people who watch out for certain words. You know, maybe that's where I was going with the, the don't say the S word. You've got to avoid that word. Now, there's a lot of other synonyms you can use, you know, get your thesaurus out, but just don't say that word, because that's in the Bible. Don't say fool, don't say, but you know what? Um, that's kind of missing the point. You know, you can use a lot of different words to express abuse and arrogance and judgment, and it doesn't have to just be that word. Should you avoid that word? Generally, when I see Jesus says, don't say this, I generally literally say, think, I probably shouldn't say that. But also, I think about the heart behind it. I probably shouldn't say, Oh, you wonderful person with a heart that's saying, I wish you'd go to hell. You know, because he, he knows that it's not just about your words, and yet it doesn't exclude your words. That's another thing we can think sometimes. It's like, you know what? Look, I'm sin. We all sin. We say this. We say that. You know, Jesus paid for it all. 
God probably doesn't care what you say, you know? That's grace. If you understand grace, we just, God doesn't care anymore. Now, the Jesus I'm reading about right here, does it seem that he's expressing the idea that it doesn't matter when he says judgment, greater judgment, or fires of hell? Does it seem to him that our speech doesn't matter? I think we have to be aware of that. Because he's saying, you know, actually, by the way, guys, it, it does matter. And if you're a disciple of his and you're living in the kingdom of God, you need to know that it's not just about murdering people. Well, I hope we're not murdering people. But I think he's saying, and I hope we're not having a heart of anger and a, a, abusive speech and judging, condemning, cursing speech and, um, because it's a really big deal. You know, if it wasn't a really big deal because he knew he was going to pay for it all, I think he would have told us that. But Jesus, the guy who went to the cross for you and I for our speech and our anger problems, he says, by the way, this is a really big deal. You're playing with the fire of hell. It's a big deal. So we have to be careful that we're not just avoiding certain words or that we don't think you know, any words matter. Sometimes people will say this. I've heard this before in, in our own church circles, Christian circles. Someone will say, well, you know what? God knows what I was thinking anyways. He knows the word that I was thinking, so I might as well just be honest about it and say it. Now, uh, I have a math minor, and if you do a little mathematics behind this, you take something that's wrong, uh, anger in the heart, and you combine that with abusive speech, you know, judgment plus greater judgment equals generally not a good idea. Whatever it equals is bad. It's worse. If you have something and you go, okay, I'm, this is what I'm thinking, and I'm holding my tongue as best as I can, that plus that, you know, it's still got some judgment in there, but it's not judgment plus greater judgment and maybe fires of hell. Do the math, that seems like a worse equation to me. I think that's what Jesus is getting at. So we have to be careful that it's not like, well, he knew what I was thinking anyways. The other thing we have to be careful of is uh, sometimes people will go, um, so that's, you know, unrighteous plus unrighteous equals greater unrighteousness. Sometimes people will go, look, I'm feeling this way, I'm, this is what I'm thinking, and I didn't say it. And it's good that I didn't say it. It's really good that I didn't say it. It's, you know, it's kind of good that they didn't know what I was thinking. I didn't tell them that. I'm going to tell the next person I see what I was thinking. Uh, but I didn't tell them. And we go from unrighteous anger in our hearts to self-righteous justification. That equation doesn't add up well either. All of these are traps we're all prone to. doesn't matter. I'm forgiven for it all. Just watch out for those specific words. That's the deal. Um, you know, uh, he knows what I was thinking anyway, so I might as well say it. All of those are wrong. You know, the heart of it all, if you remember, Jesus said, hey, by the way, every commandment hangs off of, of two, two commandments, right? Anyone remember those two commandments? Hangs off of love God supremely, love God with all, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, murder, the heart behind it is, well, instead of wanting to kill someone or wanting to have anger, wanting to have abusive speech, the idea is that we're supposed to be using our hearts to communicate love to God and to others. Speech that's maybe kind, maybe gentle, maybe patient, maybe even uplifting. And God wants us to have love towards him and towards others. Murder or anger in the heart, anger in our speech, condemning speech, um, those, are, those are the opposite of what God would have for each other. So we have to, we've got to watch out for that. So again, three types of anger. We have to watch out for anger in the, in the heart because really that's, that's the seeds of murder. We have to watch out for anger in our speech, abusive uh, speech, because that's, that's the spirit of murder. We have to watch out for cursing and, and condemning words, because really that is the, that's the very desire of murder. You don't get much closer to the murder than actually expressing it, and so we need to be aware of those. Those are all 
a big deal to God. And so um, now the uh, now we want to transition to the next couple verses here because you know the point of it all, murder is a big deal to God, but God is very concerned with the attitudes of your heart and anger being one of those attitudes. God's very concerned with the words of your mouth. You can choose different words, but um, you know it's, it's really the heart and the words. God is very concerned about both. Uh, I did uh, like this verse from the Message Bible where uh, he's quoting from Matthew 12. You're talking about our words, and sometimes people will get particular. You know, the Pharisees got very technical. Well, I didn't say that. Or if you look this word up in the dictionary, it doesn't actually mean anything bad. But that combined with a bad heart, you know, it says this. Um, uh, you have minds like a snake pit. Matthew uh, 12, 34 here in the message. Um, how do you suppose that, that what you say is worth anything when it's so foul-minded? It's your heart, not your dictionary, that gives meaning to your words. A dictionary might say it's a fine word to use. Our hearts, what actually is probably defining what we mean by that word. A good person produces good deeds and words season after season. And he goes on to something. He says, let me tell you, verse 36, let me tell you something. Every one of these careless words is going to come back to haunt you. There will be a time of reckoning. Words are powerful. Take them seriously. Words can be your salvation. Words can be your damnation. Um, God cares about the attitudes of our hearts. God cares about the words out of your mouth and mine. He cares about both. And obviously we shouldn't murder as well. So uh, let's shift gears a little bit. He gives us some solution here to think about. Um, and we'll just go ahead and read this section together and, and look at some... Uh, Maybe some action steps he has here, but goes on to say, therefore, um, you know, gave you the reason this paragraph was therefore is because of some of these action steps here. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Um, first, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Goes on to say, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taken you to court. Do it while you're still on the way. Uh, with him on the way or he may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison I tell you the truth you'll not get out until you've paid the last penny so you know anger uh, anger doesn't usually happen in a vacuum it's not like you're sitting out on the mountainside uh, overlooking the scene all of a sudden ah, I'm just really angry um, anger often happens in the context of relationships anger in our heart often in the context of relationships anger in our speech we're not usually just looking at the mirror, yelling at ourselves. It usually has a destination, someone who has angered us. Um, and so Jesus talks about how we might deal with anger, how we might maybe kill anger at its root as it relates to relationships here. And so we're just going to look at a few things here. This first part he talks about if you're offering a gift at the altar. You know, now... He was speaking in the context of a Jewish world, and they had a lot of you brought your gifts to the altar for burnt offerings, fellowship offerings, all sorts of things related to sin. And it was a way that you kind of connected with God's forgiveness. And it was the way that was a foreshadowing of Jesus being the Lamb of God, the ultimate offering, the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, and he was speaking in that world. But we know kind of the modern day, uh, we don't take a lot of burnt, you know, burnt sacrifices to the altar. You know, we... We might like a, a good steak or something around here, but we don't take it as an offering to God uh, to make ourselves right with him. But it would relate to things in the New Testament life like um, communion. 
You know, communion is a place where we go and we remember the forgiveness that Jesus bought for us. He poured out his blood for us. We, and, and yet he's kind of saying, hey, look, uh, if you're about ready to take communion and you remember your brother has something against you, leave, leave your gift right there you know, before you go on. Uh, first go be reconciled and then come back and do this. And, you know, so communion, it might apply there. Another thing I think about the New Testament speaks about the offering of praise. Hebrews 13 talks about we offer with our, our lips a, an offering of praise to God. You know, you might say, hey, if you're about to go sing praise to God and you remember, oh, I did say that to that person. Um, you know, what does it say to do? Stop and go make things right. Another place at Romans 12, too, it talks about your life should be an offering. You know, so either related to communion or before you get to a Sunday or maybe if you just want to be living a life of praise like Jesus called his disciples to, you're going to have to stop whatever you're doing and go deal with this. You know, he says, remember that your brother has something against you? First, go. And so I just have seen different expressions of this. I remember once the very first small group I was leading years ago was in a college group. We're all single. We're just learning about what does it mean to follow Jesus? What did Jesus say we should do with anger and with all these different things and i remember once i was leading small group we're getting ready for communion that night in our small group and back then communion you know we we primarily did it in small groups we didn't do it together in church but it was just a really big deal to be in the college group doing communion on your own you know like without your parents there or something like that it's it kind of this big deal and i just remember leading the time and we we broke down and men and women and we had men and women confessing sin before God and each other, and we came back together. It was a very sober time, but I remember one time we were together, and one of the guys, kind of a key guy in the group, he left. He left the meeting, and I was just like shocked and appalled. How can you leave before we take the bread and drink the cup, you know? And, um, and later I went on to find him, and he said, you know, um, I was reading this verse in Matthew that said, if someone has something against you, go make it right. He left because he knew he offended a guy in the dorm floor that he lived on. And he knew he had said something to him that he shouldn't. And so he just left. He didn't break bread that night because he thought it was more important to do this. And some of you might know him. He's a friend of mine. Uh, Dove, Dove is his name, Dove Cranson. He's now a pastor down in El Paso, Texas there. But I just remember Dove was reading this, and he goes, looks to me like you're supposed to stop, even communion, and go and make things right. And I was just impressed by his example of that. And, and we had to think about that, guys. Sometimes we can get real familiar with... Uh, you know, well, of course, God wants me to worship him, and, and i got to deal with all these other foolish people around here, but at least God and I have a tight relationship. Um, and we have to be careful of that, because what he's saying here is, hey, before you even go and worship God, before you even remember what he did for you on the cross, first, got to go deal with that person you spoke in anger to. Um, or sometimes, you know, people can tell we're angry without even speaking. Sometimes you ever figure that one out? Uh, you can have a disrespectful attitude without ever saying a word. Been there, done that. I've seen that happen before. Um, but, uh, but anyways, we need to make it right before. And so that's just something to rethink. Maybe you've become familiar with. I, I've always been a, uh, remember the idea that if we're going to remember the forgiveness Jesus has given to you, well, you can't hold a grudge against someone else. Like, Jesus, thank you for your forgiveness and, and that you gave it to me. And 
you know, my wife still needs to earn it from you, I know, because uh, you, you only died for me and not for her, um, but I guess I'll forgive her too, and you know, you take the bread and the wine. But this one is, is an even higher bar. Yes, you're supposed to forgive others. If you're holding something against them, you, you better forgive them, because Jesus said real clearly, he said, uh, he said this in Mark, he said this in a number of places, Mark 11, 25, he says, but when you're praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Number of times he ties your ability to forgive others into your own forgiveness, and you got to make sure you're forgiving others. But this is a this is a different thing. This one, I guess I'm going to forgive them. This is a you know what? I need to go seek forgiveness. I need to go up to that person and say, "It was wrong of me when I said that to you. Would you please forgive me? It was wrong of me when I did that to you. Would you please forgive me?" What I found over time, if you have a hard time forgiving others. If you have a hard time, I'm not sure I'm going to let this go or not. You know, I'm going to grind it in a little more for them until they really sincerely deserve my forgiveness. Um, if, if you wrestle with that at all, you're probably going to have a really hard time obeying this verse. Stop what you're doing and go admit your fault before you get on with breaking bread another time, before you get on with another worship service, before you get on with our relationship. Stop what you're doing and go. If they have a cause that, that you have offended them, uh, that you've done something like Jesus said not to do. Got to go make it right. It's kind of a big deal. And yet it's kind of not necessarily an easy deal. So um, uh, anyways, uh, then he goes on to say, you know, this one's more of, that's, that it says with your brother. If your brother has something against you, I, I think your family of believers, uh, maybe someone closer to you. Then he goes on to say uh, this passage here about um, Settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. You know, if you've done something to someone else, maybe you didn't really know them. Maybe it's, you know, road rage. You kind of want to settle probably out of court before they get you there. Or something. Not that anyone's dealt with that. But uh, I do have a story I, I thought I'd share. Um, someone in our midst who I, I think did something real similar to this. Trevor, I hope you don't mind me not throwing you under the bus, but lifting up your example here. Um, Trevor had a situation recently, you know, buying and selling cars. He's, he's got a... He does that pretty well, but he had someone who was going to buy a truck from him. And someone gave a deposit because they were going to buy a truck from him. Usually what happens if you have intention to buy something, you give a deposit, you change your mind, what do you do? You, that means you relinquish the deposit. That's what a deposit's there for. It's kind of like you saying, I really want this, hold this for me, take it off the market. And so this guy did that, and Trevor had his deposit, and the guy, I want out of the deal. Now Trevor would have had every right to say, hey, I'm keeping your deposit. Uh, that's what they're there for. We take this to a court of law, I'm going to win this case. But what did Trevor do? At least last I checked. He, uh, <laughs> he let it go. He let them off the hook. He didn't take them to the floor for the money that was rightly his. He, he let it go. He settled it way, way easier maybe than others would have. And yet I think it's right in line with what Jesus said. Hey, look, you want to follow me? I've got a way to go about anger, reconciliation, relationships, settling matters. And I thought it was a great example, Trevor. And I, I, thanks for letting me share that without checking with you. Um, but uh, anyways, um, so these, these are some things, again, just to think about here. Um, again, none of us probably committed murder, but we got to beware. Anger in the heart, anger without cause. we got to beware. Anger in our speech, abusive or arrogant. we got to beware of anger that's judgmental or condemning, cursing others. And we also have to take action. If we've ever done it, we need to stop and go make it right with someone that we've done that. And it's not just about anger. If you've got something you know you did wrong and it wasn't angry, well, I wasn't angry when I 
you know, stole from them, I was kind of happy about it. Well, <laughs> probably there's verses that say, you know, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We need to deal with sin that we've done. We need to release others from sin they've done to us. But, um, you know, and just to close here, I think this can be, this is just one little section of the Sermon on the Mount. Every teaching next week is, you know, don't commit adultery. Don't show up if that doesn't relate to you. But if, you know, if purity is something that relates to you, then you, we probably ought to show up. So, um, but Jesus has one after the other really high bars here. And it'd be real easy to go like, you know, I'm done. I was done last week, you know. I'm done. Throw my papers here. Um, how, how do we do this? And, and a couple things just to think about. One is that um, when we fall short of what Jesus has said, of being a disciple in his kingdom, you know, one of the things we can do is just be honest about it. It's called confession. Agree with God. You know, God, I, I really blew it when I spoke in anger. I really blew it when I had self-centered anger in my heart. I didn't share it with them. And obviously, you know, that's righteous. But um, anger is self-centered here. And you might just confess it to God. And then you might also just agree with them about, you know, and I agree that, Jesus, you did die for my sin, for my angry speech, for my judgmental speech. Thank you that you did die for it. And the last thing you can do is maybe ask him, ask him for help to obey in this, to change in this. You know, all of the Sermon on the Mount, it goes chapter 5, a bunch of things. Chapter 6, a bunch of things. Chapter 7 has, I think as it starts to close there, chapter 7 talks about prayer. You know, I, I kind of feel like it's Jesus saying, by the way, if any of these things would be hard for you to do, which they would be virtually impossible without his help, um, he says, ask. It'll be given to you. Seek. You'll find the grace you need. Knock. The door will be open to you. Um, and, and so I think when it comes to trying to obey this high bar of being a disciple of Jesus and his kingdom, ask. Ask for help to deal with anger. Ask for help to reconcile with someone who might not want to reconcile. We're just called to do our part. They may not receive you back. They may not uh, want forgiveness. But as a follower of Christ, we're called to at least engage in that. But ask him for the help. And if you fall short, admit it. You know, he knows it. People around you probably know. But just confess, Lord, I really fell short of what you called me to there. And the last part is thank him. You know, again, just thank him for, thank him for dying on the cross for all your sins. And get on with trying to live for him because of his love, in response to his love, because you know what his heart is for loving relationships and not murder and not anger. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, we do I just thank you again for this time together. And Lord, I just pray for each one of us that you would help us to, whatever we hear from you right now on this, that you would help us to not harden our hearts, not sweep it under the carpet. Lord, help us to make adjustments that we need to related to anger in our hearts, related to speech that's dishonoring to you, uh, related to passing on judgment, cursing others with our speech or in our hearts as well. God, we, we want to be your disciples, and, and we ask for your help in that. We thank you that you've dealt with all our sin. Or some of it, we, we haven't even fully realized how short we've fallen in. And you died for it all. And you love us. And you want to help us to have life. Life to the fullest. And we thank you for that, Lord. Help us to respond to you on any, any things you're prompting our hearts with here. And, and we pray this together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks for coming this morning here. And. Uh,
Again, no meeting this Wednesday night. Hope we'll catch you right back here Sunday. And I forget the topic next. Oh, yeah, next week it is don't commit adultery. So we'll talk about that. Hope you would join us still for that. So, all right. Take care. 10:21 a.m. We get real crazy. We know you live at the same place, but but we have plenty of Starbucks cards, so I don't know if you filled it out. I filled it out last weekend. You did, okay. Did we get you that? Oh you did. Did, you yeah. did they get you? Yeah. Good kid. Alright. Very good. Okay.